In this episode of the Deming Institute podcast, Stephen Hadrick, president of New York Label and Deming Institute board member, revisits the podcast. Stephen catches us up on his company and shares his knowledge on a variety of topics, including the direction of the Deming Institute. Hi, I'm Trip Babbitt, host of the Deming Institute podcast. Our guest today is Stephen Hadrick of New York Label. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Trip. Glad to be here. So, Stephen, we talked to you a while back. I mean, it, well, it's been almost five years now since we interviewed you about uh, New York Box or, and Label, or New York Label, I guess, is the, uh, would be the appropriate uh, name of the company. And you told us a little bit about the company, but quite a few things have changed. You're now a, a member of the board. You're even more deeply involved in the Deming philosophy. So I kind of broke up our interview into to three sections, maybe give us a little update on New York label and kind of the future, what does the future look like? And then the second thing is the Deming philosophy and kind of how are you interacting with, with owners? You're kind of old guard now. You're, you're one of those owners that's been doing this for a while, kind of like Paula Marshall, you know, type, type sure. of thing, uh, uh, of Bama companies. And then the third thing is, now that you're on the board, just kind of get a sense of the direction of the board at the Deming Institute, kind of what your experience has been and some of the activities that you have going on there. So uh, just getting started, how about giving us an update on a New York label? You've dumped the Deming philosophy, I've heard. Uh, no, quite okay. the opposite. <laughs> we are, we're more immersed in the Deming philosophy every day because it really does uh, not only differentiate us, but it is goes to our core philosophy of how we're going to run this business, how we're going to improve, how we're going to be around another for another 140 years. And I think the big thing we have learned over the past five years is everything is moving much faster. Customers want it for a lot less. Our competition might be a hundred or a thousand times bigger than we are. Um, we're literally competing against billion-dollar competitors, and quality has been our selling differentiator. But now we've really understood the importance of being recognized as the innovative company that can solve the complex challenges, deliver the product sooner, and at a very, very reasonable cost. And we have been, um, we're about to launch an online sticker division, and we are about to go with inline folding carton production, which would be revolutionary. But... At the end of the day, we are very focused on how can we innovate, how can we meet the challenges of tomorrow and make sure our clients are staying ahead of the curve. Okay. And just kind of a, a, a common question I think people might have, and especially if they don't have an understanding of the Deming philosophy, is that quality actually winds up reducing prices. Hopefully that myth is gone, that, that quality increases price. But how has using the Deming philosophy helped you with not only raising the quality, but lowering cost and attracting new customers? Yeah, at, at the 
core principle of the Deming philosophy is the Deming chain reaction, which says when you improve quality, you lower your costs, and you're mostly lowering your costs through less rework and fewer mistakes and delays. Then your productivity improves, then you capture market share, then you stay in business and you provide more jobs, which is another essential part of the big picture of Dr. Deming's thinking, which we hear about in the political circles every day, of creating good-paying jobs where people can have joy at work and uh, learn and grow. And I think that our thinking goes very hand-in-hand with that, and we really believe that it is the only way to survive is if you can compete because lower costs, it started with China, then it went to Walmart, then it went to private equity companies, then it, now it's with Amazon, and it's a constant drive for lower pricing. And we had an example in the last few months where a big cosmetic company approached us with a, 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 a massive problem they had of getting a product done in, in less than 16 weeks through innovating our inline label process, we were able to pass the line trial just yesterday, and we um, innovated to the point where we can do that, the same cost, and do it in a four-week time period. So that allows this cosmetic, global cosmetic company to keep the shelves stocked and to get to market quicker, and they were, frankly, in disbelief that we could actually do it in a quarter of the time. And that was against a billion-dollar competitor. Mm. So we're extremely proud of that, and we really have hammered home not just its continual improvement on a daily basis, but it's also, with the focus on quality, it's also how can we innovate and become a, a world leader in that. Okay. And, and you were talking about the Deming chain, and one of the things I wanted to ask you is since you've been president, I think you've when I listened to your earlier video, it was 96 or 98 or somewhere around that, that, that time frame where, where you kind of took over the company and you were under immediate pressure. Are you seeing any movement in some of the, your customers that they're starting to understand total cost better than, let's say, the old days, that they're, they kind of understand that you know, the lowest cost, I know there's, there's cost pressure, but there's also kind of the total cost that Dr. Deming talked about, you know, kind of the end-to-end costs and the fact that you're, you're doing these things in time frames that other people can't do. Do Are people more, are, are customers more recognizing that, that that's part of the cost? In my experience, unfortunately, I would answer no. Mm. I think there is a, still a tremendous belief system that the lowest price wins the bid. And yet what has changed in the past five years, people are finally realizing that the frustration, the firefighting, the chaos, the downtime is a huge factor in overall costs and lowering your costs. But there's still a mindset and thinking that I'm going to buy this at the lowest cost. For example, I had a client um, came to me. They wanted to, they were unhappy with their current label vendor. They wanted to switch. Uh, she said, can you give me some prices? It was a, it was a major um, vitamin line. We gave the buyer prices. Uh, she said, it's too high. My reaction was, well, you just told me your, your vendor was delivering late, poor quality. She says, yeah, but my CFO won't let me raise my costs internally, my price per label. 
And I said, but your overall costs were lower. And she said, I believe in it, but my boss still wants the lowest price. She then said, go back and look at your numbers, see if you can match that price. We ended up thinking for the long term, it was a great client to have, and we took it. Uh, and then she came back a day later and said, I, I, I made a mistake. He wants you to beat their price by 2%. And I said, I'll do that, but I'm raising it you know, in a year from now. And we agreed, but that, that really mm. told me that there is still a massive push to have the lowest prices. And you can read it in the papers from global cosmetic change to large vitamin companies to the food companies. They really have a massive dependence on lowering the price per unit, which then typically drives up their costs. Mm. So, Unfortunately, yeah. it's a little sad. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed to kind of hear that, uh, especially someone as well-versed as yourself that can really explain, you know, okay, this person, you know, this competitor of ours isn't able to deliver, can't do all these things. Uh, we don't care. We just tell us what the price is. But uh, I, do, I do sense there is a shift mm-hmm. in that thinking, but in terms of the, the boots on the ground, I, I don't believe it's a re- Unfortunately, I don't think it's a reality yet that people are getting. It's about lowering your overall costs not lowering your incoming goods and materials. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, it is what it is. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll take that. We'll move on to uh, the second thing I want to talk about is you are what now what I would consider old, old guard with regards to, to have used the Deming philosophy for a while now. I'm sure you've got people coming up or in maybe interactions and in other boards that, that you're involved with or have been involved with in the past. Uh, what what are you? What is the interaction with your peers uh, out there? What types of questions may they be asking you? Or are you approaching them about uh, Deming now that you're on the board, or, or how, how does that dance work? Yeah, I I pretty much am focused on spreading the word and the institute's vision almost every day. Um, sometimes people come to me, sometimes I'll go to them and challenge them with why are you still paying sales commissions or do you really think performance appraisals are making the people more effective or wouldn't it be better to take a long-term view and not a quarterly view? And unfortunately, again, I believe people are shifting in the right direction towards the Deming philosophy, but I still think people are stuck in the old ways of trying to improve methodology and business thinking that is not working. And you could see it with the Boeing disaster. You can see it with Tesla. You can see it with Heinz Craft. These are major global competitors that have been around forever. Look at GE today versus what it was 30 years ago. There is still a resistance to accept the fact that the old Western management system is not working and we're bumping up against the limits of what we can achieve with that that old and outdated thinking. Hmm. Uh, and, and do you find this more prevalent with companies then that are traded on the, uh, let's say, the New York Stock Exchange uh, or the NASDAQ versus a smaller company? Are you having better success in those conversations? Because they don't, you know, that quarterly dividend and that focus on, you know, I've got to hit this number or, or all the conversations seem to be the same. I think they're pretty much the same. I think whereas the private business is not thinking quarterly, 
they're also wondering how they're going to meet their payroll. They're going to, they're wondering how they can get their payables um, to a manageable level. And I think what I'm seeing is people are firefighting internally in their in their businesses. They're not able to step back and understand that I have to take a systemic view. I have to view the organization as a whole. I have to take some loss maybe in this department so I can increase the gain uh, in this department. And it, it, it's a holistic approach to understanding the entire Deming philosophy and how everything is intertwined and everything is, is part of the, that system, including your customer and including the vendor, our vendors. And I would say that to me is another obstacle that our, most of our clients typically do not want to be part of our system. They view themselves as a separate entity and we're a vendor or a supplier, and we're trying to change that thinking, but it's very difficult. Okay. So they, so the way I've kind of summarized this, I wrote this down as you were talking, I said that people or companies continue to improve on the wrong thinking. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. yeah, you know, like what the best, the best is the performance appraisal. Yeah. People still do it, so they, they're trying to improve it. But you can't improve something that fundamentally doesn't help the organization grow or improve its quality or reduce its costs. Hmm. Let's move to the uh, the third thing, which I, I'm really interested in. And in 2014, you were prepping, I believe, for a Deming conference. Uh, you did a, a speech on Deming is it was the the name of it. And people can find that out, find that out on the Deming.org website by by searching Stephen's name. But then you were named to the board in 2015. Tell me a little bit about that experience. What, what, what's, what, what has that been? Now, you've been working with the Deming philosophy, and now you're, you've, you've kind of culminated on the become part of the board uh, of the Deming Institute. It was a wonderful opportunity for me when uh, Kelly Allen and Kevin Cahill asked me to become a board member. I was truly honored and taken back, and I was very proud of the fact that they thought I could help represent the Institute, the Deming philosophy, because I am such a believer, and I really understand the importance of it, not in business or government or education, but just in our own lives. And the board is made up of a wonderful group of individuals who are trying to spread the word and have people understand that there, there's a real opportunity here to change things for the better. And it's an incredibly smart group of people. Everyone is very committed. And as a board member now, it's my job to help the Institute grow globally, but mostly in America, obviously. And the great announcement that we have been um, talking about recently is the online learning which will enable us to reach millions of people um, and be much more effective at spreading the word because the two-and-a-half-day seminars are great. Uh, they attract about 50 to 75 people, and you can learn a lot. And it's a great introductory course. The, uh, obviously, there's the books are still available, your podcasts. Uh, there's a lot of online learning. But the, the Institute is about to launch a true, almost a university and uh, break it down by modules, and I think that will be incredible. It, it's, whereas Dr. Deming would have talks 
with 500 to 1,000 people in his four-day seminars, the online learning represents an opportunity to reach millions, and that's when we feel like we're going to get some traction and really start um, improving people's lives. So, so, and some of the things that we, we've just talked about, we've talked a little bit about, you know, that the mindset isn't really changing. And, you know, when one of Dr. Deming's famous interviews, I think it was with Priscilla Petty, you know, she said, well, why aren't, why aren't all these CEOs following the Deming philosophy? And he says, well, they don't know about it. So, right. so what, is the, what is the institute and board in particular, how are you focused on trying to get the word out to uh, people about what the Deming philosophy really is all about? I, I certainly would see the online learning component of it, but most CEOs aren't going to look at something online. Maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're hoping you're wrong, Trip. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, the, uh, that's right. Okay. It, it, it's going to be up to us to promote it properly um, mm-hmm. through uh, the Internet, through conversations, through effective uh, marketing. And the other, the other thing the board does is we're, we're able to go speak to other businesses. We're able to go speak to um, conferences I have a conference coming up on continuous improvement for the printing industry in Dallas in April that I'm excited to go to. We are able to talk to colleges. I recently went to Constantinople College in Canada. It was part of their seminar on continual improvement. Um, I've spoken at the Graduate USA School, which is another tremendous organization that is training people, and we hope to partner with them on getting a lot of the Deming teachings uh, in their curriculum. And um, there's a lot of opportunity because people, I think, are finally listening a lot more because they are realizing they're bumping up against the limits. And, you know, the whole millennial generation is demanding joy at work and less frustration. So I think there is a, a seismic shift opportunity towards completely rethinking how we run businesses, how we're running schools, and how we're running the government. And uh, we're excited for the opportunity to be a part of that change. So I I almost hear you as you're talking there that you're saying that the curiosity seems to be ramping up a bit and that you're getting more opportunities to get in front of, whether it's doing a, a, a speech or potentially a lecture or, or some, some type of opportunity to kind of evangelize, if you will, uh, the Deming philosophy. Is, would that be a fair statement? You see, see more activity there? Yeah, it's a very fair statement. I, I, I'm coming across more and more people that have heard of Dr. Deming, more and more people that have read his books, uh, seen him on a video, and I'm sensing that there is a a thirst for knowledge in doing things differently. And what I'm seeing is people who heard about him at one time and like the thinking are now taking more time to understand the philosophy, understand how they can integrate it into their school or their business or their government agency. And I really am optimistic about that because I don't think that was happening five, ten years ago in my experience. And what I'm seeing now is encouraging that people are finally figuring out that the current thinking methodology is not going to be effective over the next 20, 25 years and beyond. 
when I talked to you back in 2014, we kind of had a little bit of a discussion about this, about uh, how people would be viewing CEOs or executives would, would be viewing the Deming philosophy. Uh, would your approach be different than it was five years ago, even as far as how, how you would be actually presenting yourself to uh, CEOs? We kind of touched about uh, on this a little bit earlier in the interview. I just wanted to see if I can dive a little bit deeper into that. I think there is a tremendous quest today for improvement uh, in conversations I have. I think people are realizing that is a key. When you look at the great dynasty sports teams, you hear more talk talks of people understanding that it's the system that's more important than the people, and everyone is a part of the system. And I think in my conversations, I can detect pretty quickly whether the person is a believer or frustrated or completely stubborn to change. And I can adjust my conversation based on um, who I'm talking to, but it is it is less frustrating when I talk to people because I do believe they are understanding that the world is changing and we're going to have to change to be uh, more effective over the next uh, years. So while we're waiting for the the online learning, uh, where would you suggest that? a CEO or an executive or someone interested in Deming philosophy start? I'd go back to the New Economics, which Deming was one of his first books, I believe, and Kelly Allen has added a forward that is terrific to understanding where the Deming philosophy stands today, and that to me would be my launch point if I was a CEO, I would probably have to consider the two-and-a-half-day seminar, and I would definitely look at the Internet and see what videos, what is out there to help me understand the basic stuff I'm looking for, whether it's sales commission, performance appraisal, systems thinking, um, all the different modules, if you will, of the Deming philosophy, which you have to start somewhere. And... Take your biggest problem, and it can be solved by the Deming philosophy. No question in my mind. Okay, very good. Well, we uh, appreciate one last question I have for you, uh, Stephen, is is there anything I didn't cover in our conversation today that you wish I would have, or is there any correction maybe as you talk that you want to go back to and say, ah, I want to say something a little bit different about that? Uh, or there's a great last question trip. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Stephen. I people, I, I it's become a, a staple, and I don't think it was when uh, you and I first talked in our first interview, but it become a staple. And when I go to seminars now, people repeat that back to me. <laughs> so no, that's excellent. That, uh, your interviewing has come a long way. <laughs> that's really true. I mean, all, all interviewers should ask that question. Uh, uh, I'm going to think of something here. I think that's a great question, and I think I would answer it by saying I think the world is finally realizing that the old ways that we have accepted as the standards of thinking are no longer going to prepare us for the complexities, for the challenges, for the true globalization of the world and the Deming philosophy really captures the essence 
of collaboration and cooperation and teamwork and systems thinking and continual improvement. And the big thing I, I focus on right now is joy at work. When people are firefighting, when they're frustrated, when they're chaotic, when they're burnt out, the solution is the Deming philosophy, which allows you to have a different mindset, a different way of operating, a different way of thinking, where you can end some days by saying, I had a great day, I am enjoying my job. But without the Deming philosophy, what I'm seeing is the frustration and it can't continue. We, we have to really finally understand the urgency which is needed for change to make the world a better place. That's a great uh, final thought for uh, our, our interview. So I, I appreciate that. that that's so uh, well-worded. I try, Trip. I try. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for being a participant again in the Deming Institute podcast. Great insights. Trip, thank you for doing what you're doing. It's uh, terrific. Appreciate it. Very good. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you for listening to the Deming Institute podcast. Stay updated on the latest blogs, podcasts, programs, and other activities at Deming.org.